Welcome in listeners to an incredibly special episode of Whisper in the Wings from Stage Whisper. We have an incredible guest joining us today. Uh, she plays Mrs. Margaret Grace in Classic Stage Company's production of A Man of No Importance, which is currently playing now through December 18th. Joining us today is Mary Beth Peel. Mary Beth, thank you so much for joining us today on our show. It's my pleasure. It's my pleasure having tea with you on a Thursday afternoon. Yes. <laughs> thank you. Yes, I'm... We're huge fans of yours. Um, we've seen you in many shows. And most recently, like we, we've we mentioned, A Man of No Importance, which was an incredible show, especially in, in the classic stage theater, that beautiful, intimate space. And what a wonderful show to put in that space. Um, it's, it's really just, it, I will say, it's a show that I wasn't aware of. And I feel ashamed mm-hmm. saying that, being a big theater person. Um, but it was such a powerful show that did not go where I thought it was going, uh, which I loved. Would you mind telling us a little bit about the show? No, not at all. I I couldn't agree more that it is um, a perfect marriage of the, the right show at the right time in the right theater. Um, the, the space at Classic Stage is a very communal one. It's not audience participation in the sense of you have a spotlight on you or you have to jump on stage or answer a question or something, but you, you because it's uh, you're really, you surround the stage. It's a small, I think it's 200 seats or something. And basically the audience surrounds the stage and the way this particular piece is very theatrical because it's about theater um it it, it's called a man of no importance because it's a it's a a, it's a story it's a story about a person who's like all of us just just a human being not a star he's not a star He, he does he he is a man who in his community people don't pay much attention to he's a a bus conductor and it takes place in Dublin, Ireland in the sixties, which I had no idea, even though I was very much alive and thriving in the sixties, how grim it was Mm. in Ireland in the sixties, socially, culturally. mm, I mean, they were only 20 years out of the war, world war two. And, um, the old ways were still very prevalent. Anyway, it was pretty grim. And when you look at footage of Dublin in 19, mid 1960s. And so this lovely man is just a bus driver and his passion is the theater. And he's formed a, a little community amateur theater group amongst the other ordinary people in the village, all of whom are characters and all of whom the theater for whom all of them, the theater is what keeps them alive, what enables them to get up in the morning, um, gives them hope, gives them the feeling that their life is worth living. So there is this motley group of people for gathered around the need to do theater, to read plays, to put on plays, to gather together and, pretend like there's somebody else 
remove them from their everyday life. And for those few hours, pretend they're somebody else. And in that classic theater way, the allow the audience also to pretend to participate in that whatever that carrying away thing, that miracle that happens when you see live theater, you forget yourself and get transported for a few hours. So basically that's what it's about. It also involves this man of no importance coming to terms with his own sexuality, which was in Ireland at the time. And we're unfortunately finding out also in this country, the anti-gay and I mean, there was no transgender that was not even spoken of, of course, at that time. It was just about at that point in time, the gay and lesbian culture. So it's about him coming to terms with that. And uh, it's about people living their lives and getting through as best they can with the help of theater. Oh, so well put. And I mean, what I love is that the way the set's built, you're exactly right. We feel like we're more than just a fly in the wall. We feel like we're a part of it. You Uh, are made part of it. Yeah. Yep. And and you and the, and the actors come from out in the audience. They're they're yep. you know it's not just from the, the back of the stage. So it really it's wholly involved. Um, yeah, you, so, you're and, both on stage and backstage all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what was it like developing uh, the show with this incredible cast? Well, that's the, one of the other things that makes this unique is that it's. Um, directed by John Doyle, who is, um, some people call him a minimalist. He doesn't think of himself that way, but he is a great, great at telling the story, at getting rid of anything that could distract from or is not necessary in telling the story. Yes, And um, he also has made some name for himself because he, he is a Brit, He's actually Scottish, but his um, he made his name and his fame as a theater director in England with very small theater companies who had no money. So if they wanted to do a musical, it turns out they didn't have the money for an orchestra. So the actors, he had to find actors who could also play instruments. So there are many of his productions, not all of them, but many of them, involve if the, if it's a musical it involves actor musicians actors who are both playing a part singing a part and by some miracle because they're so talented playing an instrument mm-hmm. at the same time so and sometimes they're also dancing while they're playing an instrument and singing and acting at the same time i mean it's a it's a whole new breed of <laughs> actor and um they're they're magical people i have great respect for them so you know uh, the work with john is unique in several ways starting from day one where he has the ability to cut to the chase right from day one we don't sit around and do it what they call a table 
read, where you read the script and then you discuss it and you sort of dissect it and you talk about the characters. It, with most productions that I've been involved with, and I think most directors in general, you start out, out with a day or two, sometimes, depending on how much rehearsal time you have, sometimes even a week of table work where you dissect the play and you become acquainted with the director's concept and ideas about what the play is, how he or she wants to tell the story, character development, who is this character, what should you as an actor be working on that will help facilitate the director's concept or goal. And that, so that by the time you're on your feet, you also have it a little bit more memorized and you have some concept of where you want to end up. John doesn't work that way. Right from day one, everyone is in the room, on their feet, with their script, in this case with the music, the musicians with the music and a script, and we just, he'll pick a scene to work on. Maybe it's one of the easiest scenes. Sometimes it's one of the more difficult scenes. And you you work on it, you try things out. And then you come back the next day and he says, he'll say, don't write anything down in your script because we don't know what we're gonna do tomorrow. So we go back to tomorrow and we just, find out what John wants to work on today. And it could be the same scene, but done entirely with an entirely different kind of way of looking at it. And he, he'll bring a lot of different kinds of props and things to try. There's no real scenery at classic stage, so we're not dealing with scene changes. We're dealing basically with the script that we have in hand, the music, the beautiful music that's been written, learning the notes and on our feet and a lot of repeating the same thing that we're just working on. So you you start to memorize without realizing that you're memorizing because oh. of repetition. But you're not repeating to duplicate the same thing the next day. Because the next day we'll come in and work on something else. So it's hard to describe. And a lot of times when I'm describing this process to other actors, they'll be horrified to say, well, how do you ever know when you're finished? And John would say, you're never finished. Ideally, we would keep on. I mean, there's this the way the Russian theater works where you rehearse something for six months. Uh, uh, sometimes while you're performing it at night, sometimes you just rehearse and just keep rehearsing until everybody's so comfortable with what they're doing and have figured out how to make it, how to tell the story the, the best, most intimate, most meaningful way. Anyway, we can't do that in this country, and um, we know that. And But the point of it being you're not striving for fixing it, for putting it 
in stone. So it's always, always going to be the same way every night. We have a, a structure that we've all arrived at through agreement. So there's a kind of a leveling experience so that even though there are, are actors, and sometimes in our case, there's a couple of stars like Jim Parsons and Mayor Winningham, uh, or there's, um, it's just an ensemble of, of working actors, but whatever, we're, we're all treated the same. We've all been through the same rehearsal process. Everybody knows everybody else's part, everybody else, how everybody, we've watched everyone come to their character and we watch everyone every night getting deeper and deeper into that character and into that scene. We've, we've all been on the journey from day one because everyone comes to rehearsal all six to eight hours every day Everyone's there watching and participating with everybody else. It's a level playing field. And it, it remains that in the doing of the show. So that the, uh, the, the joy and the, um, I, I, it's, a, it's an energizing kind of thing that comes from 13 people doing the same task after the same goal in such harmony it's i don't know if that there's a word for it but it's thrilling and it's contagious to the audience yeah. the audience can difference between a show that's been rehearsed and fixed and is perfect and a show that is alive and this is alive there, there you know there there's that adage of a long running show. How does it stay fresh? How do they keep discovering things, especially like with a comedy or something? And I love that you mentioned John Doyle's philosophy of like, you're never done. And I'm like, you shouldn't be, I mean, you shouldn't be like going way out there and trying new things by any means, but why can't you discover something? Um, no. I just uh, did a review for Top Dog Underdog for our patrons. And I mentioned there was a moment when, uh, Booth wailed just this guttural horrible like wail to the sky and these young girls laughed and I was like I wonder what why that reaction was and I said that actor is not going to be on stage hear that and 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 react the same way he would if the entire audience was just in the shock you're going to get two different things that's the, that's the best part about live theater is because the X factor that can, that allows a cast to continue to let it breathe and grow is us, the audience. We're going to have different reactions. I, I, that's a beautiful, I love that. First of all, I can't wait to see that play. I hear it's great. Um, my favorite thing as a performer in a small theater, not you, it's usually not possible in Broadway, but in the larger theaters, but in the smaller theater, my favorite thing, even better than getting a laugh, which is gold to get a laugh, but my favorite thing is those little, hmm, or <gasps> gasps of breath mm -hmm. or sighs or what you just described, a, a, a spontaneous kind of, whether it's out of discomfort or mm -hmm. 
self-consciousness or whether they really find it funny that nobody else does. I mean, it's those little individual, um, spontaneous, unguarded audience reactions that, oh, there's nothing like it. Because you know somebody got, it hit a button in someone for for some reason that you could never have, and you don't need to know why. You don't, you know, but you know it happened. Yeah, and I feel like more, now that theater's back more than ever, I feel like the audience really is starting to have a a, a, a larger conversation with actors. We're, we're not being as quiet. We really are reacting on a much more vocal yeah. level. And it's- the thrilled to be back too yeah. and you're seeing <laughs> yeah. that that heightened level of theater where you know it's one thing in rehearsal when you're acting and, and you're getting the reaction but when you start to hear an audience react a different way it's gonna ch- it changes what happens you know the, the audience on a tactic yeah. and all of a sudden the audience goes oh and you're like oh i didn't realize it was so horrible and the other person is like yeah it was really horrible the and audience was raised the- the third character mm-hmm. you really know you don't really know if you're telling the story the way you want to or if it's even the story that the audience is getting until they're there that they're getting uh what is the message or the thought you're hoping the audiences will leave with oh that's a really good question you know it occurred to me this morning when i heard that because of the recent election i mean we we could spend a whole another hours (laughs) on politics um but um because of the election and the lame duck uh house my understanding, uh, I don't, I haven't been able to read all the details, but they, they, co- they have codified the Marriage Act mm-hmm. so that you now, um, it's, you know, and, and there's some upcoming Supreme Court cases that without, it's my understanding, without that codification could be in serious jeopardy for being able to marry who you love whether it's interracial, interreligious, inter, um, sexual, gender, whatever. Um, The fact that that was passed, I think yesterday, Mm -hmm. there's a song in this show called Love Who You Love. Mm -hmm. You just have to love who you love. And I think that if you had to say, what is this show about in general? The takeaway for me is you just have to love who you love and now we can say uh, politically, um, officially, legally, you get to love who you love. Yes. And um, I mean, as New Yorkers, we're sort of, well, yes, isn't that true everywhere? No, it's not. And we've been finding that out. Yeah. And we will continue to find that out, yeah. which is why it's even more important 
for that message to get out and and thank god for the you know the younger generations they're not they're not going to stand by and let that not be true mm -hmm. that that train has left the station thank god yes and it celebrates it the last question i want to ask regarding a man of no importance is who do you hope have access to the show oh boy uh that's a you know, we've, we've joked in the dressing room that um, every MAGA person should come to see the show, but that's that's just folly uh, because I don't think it would necessarily um, change them. But I think um, for sure young people, young people will, uh, and by young people, I mean, I guess it's Gen Z. That's what we call them now. <laughs> I I've lost count. I'm I'm not sure the generation I've fallen. The youngins. The youngins. I, I, the youngins. Yes, yes. I love for you to call them youngins. For sure, the youngins, both for the sake of their life culturally and emotionally, spiritually, <laughs> and for the life of the theater. The future of the theater has to be beyond seniors. Yeah. Who, who, you know, most people, I think over 50 uh, theater has been, New Yorkers anyway, theater has been a part of their life. And for the young ones with social media and the internet and everything, theater has been replaced by a lot of other forms of entertainment. And um, they don't, there's a lot of live experience that they're not experiencing both from a live phone call to um, live having a cup of coffee instead of a text, uh, you know, um, to see things live, whether it's a concert or theater, it, it's, it's huge difference. And we can't, we can't lose it. And that's and, live through your eyes, not through your screen. That's your right. Eyes your eyes and your communal it's a communal experience not through zoom mm -hmm. communal, not zoom communal but um sitting right next to someone yep that kind of it's energy really it's an exchange of energy yeah so i i guess i, I mean I, I would say definitely anyone it, it I, I'm tempted to say um, any any good Catholic who wants to know the history of the kind of repression um, mm. and um, engage in that kind of dialectic is I mean I, I know I'm a, I know enough Catholics to know that that still goes on. There's some you know um, evolved thought in the catholic religion and there's some wanting to keep everything the way it's always been so that's that's kind of an eternal question but i would say in general the young ones yeah
Well, on our show, we not only talk about the show itself, but we also talk about our personal experiences in the theater. And I'd love to uh, hear some of yours for our listeners. So I'd love to ask what shows or playwrights or composers um, have inspired you in the past or are some of your favorites? Oh, I, 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 I am loath to answer favorites. I, I just, um, or some of your highlights, I guess. Yeah. Highlights. Highlights is good. Favorites is hard because I think I, I think most, most of my colleagues would feel, feel the same way. Not necessarily all of them, but I'm all, whatever I'm in at the moment, whatever I'm involved in, even if it's really hard and not necessarily pleasant, it becomes my favorite because it's what I'm invested in. Hmm. And in both the, the show itself and the people I'm working with, I'm in, invested in them in, in making it as good as possible and finding all the good parts of it, even though maybe there are parts of it that need attention that there's no time to do it or whatever. So I, I'm loath to say favorites, but I definitely have highlights. I have life-changing events. I mean, the as far as, I mean, I was an opera singer for 20 years. So my early experience in live theater was on the opera stage. And <laughs> when you're dealing with that kind of music and that kind of heightened singing, and I was so young. I started when I was 22 professionally. Every, everything is thrilling. It's beyond thrilling. Um, but then when I started in music theater, what led me to really let me know that I was not, that I had been an opera singer, but that wasn't, where I really belonged, that I, be, that I was, and I've said this many times, that I wasn't a singer who could act, but that I was really an actor who could sing. Those moments that I really got the message was when was doing King and I with Yul Brynner, where I was his last Mrs. Anna, having, I mean, he, it was the last two years of his life. So he had been through many, 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 many Mrs. Annas in his journey as the King of Siam and the King and I, both on screen and on stage. And to be not only in such a beautiful show and have all that incredible music to sing, but to be with an actor of his stature and his star quality and have him treat me as an equal and then be privy, not only treat me as an equal as a performer, but as a friend because I was beside his wife and his dresser, I was the only other person to know that when he was initially diagnosed with terminal cancer and the show must go on, I needed to be his partner. He needed me to know that 
what what could happen on stage while he was dying. Hmm. Um, so that was seminal in many on many many levels, professionally and personally. Um, life changing. Wow. So many ways. Well, I hate to to ask you another favorite question, so I'll, I'll end it a little. But um, <laughs> uh, especially following up with that incredible, incredible moment. Um, yeah. But what is one of your favorite parts about working in the theater? Oh, that's easy. Oh, that's wonderful. Easy. Okay. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. My favorite part, usually, is rehearsals. If you're with a good director and a good cast and a good script, good colleagues, there's nothing more thrilling than finding your way. Thrilling. You know, it it it's you 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 have to dare yourself to take chances, you stick your neck out, you get you risk getting laughed at, getting shot down. But if you're with a good group of people, if you're with not such a a, tr a trusting room, a trusting rehearsal room, for me is one of the most thrilling places to be. I mean, I love being on stage. I love performing. I love the audience. I love it, the finished, all, all of that. But there's nothing like the rehearsal room. All that discovery, all that play. All, all that possibility, all that potential. Yeah. And to watch uh, to watch other actors find things and struggle with things and then see them conquer something and it's thrilling. Yep. Completely agree. I love seeing others just make a connection or make a discovery that nobody yeah. else saw. And then you're like, the oh, and then it on. sticks to you. And then you're like, yeah. Well, and then I could oh, it's mm. yep. And that, like like we said earlier with, with John's productions, the work is never finished. So if you're in a production where that level of trust and that level of joy in discovery is established from day one during rehearsals, that continues then during the performances, in the live performance. Yes. Yeah. Well, this is my favorite question to ask. Another favorite. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'm so excited to hear yours, um, which is, what is your favorite theater memory? Or in this case, what is one of your favorite theater memories? You know, I, 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 I was sort of warned that you were going to ask me a question like that. And I think I was in denial that I wasn't, <laughs> that I was going to answer it. Uh, um, I, I don't mean to hedge. But for me, at this moment in time, my favorite moments are in every night in A Man of No Importance, watching Jim Parsons, who's a well-known theater, I mean, TV, um, comic, t classic, TV sitcom comedy performer. No, that's what he's known for. To watch him dare to go out every night and not only sing, but he sings with his own 
voice that comes so much from his heart and his person, his soul, and watch it every night come into full bloom and every night get fuller and fuller and fuller and watch his face change mm. as he this journey with this as this man of no importance right now today th that's those are my that's my favorite i Every love night. that watch, watching watching this I, I i don't call it a transformation it's it's him having daring knowing that everyone knows him as a certain kind of performer daring to let himself be something else mm -hmm. uh, it's thrilling it's thrilling are there any productions or projects um that you yes I can answer that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we might be able to plug. What what's coming for you next? Yes, let's plug. Um, the Man of No Importance closes on the 18th of December, Sunday, and on Monday, December 19th, I start rehearsal at the Atlantic Theater Company, which is another wonderful off-Broadway company, um, in a new musical called Cornelia Street that's based on the Cornelia Street Cafe, which I'm not, I'm not sure it's even there anymore. I think in, during COVID it bit the dust. It, it was a, a neighborhood hangout on Cornelia Street in the West Village that had been the neighborhood hangout, I think since the fifties and sixties with a, um, a wonderful bar, wonderful food and a downstairs performance space for jazz, poetry readings, play readings, cabaret, then that little space was home to all kinds of things. Anyway, this wonderful British playwright named Simon Stevens wrote the book and a West Coast um, musician named Mark, whose last name is escaping me right now, but Mark and Simon have written this really, really unusual and beautiful ensemble character piece based on the real life of Cornelia Street Cafe. All the characters that hang out there, hung out there, and it's gonna, it's a fabulous cast. It's gonna be great fun. And we do it in the small black box theater, which will be it make it even more intimate experience um wrapping things up if our listeners want to get more information um about a man of no importance or about yourself uh where can they do that or how can they reach out to you um hmm. well i'm not a social media person so i don't have a handle or a hashtag or a whatever people have <laughs> um but um, I, I have gotten mail at um, Classic Stage, if anyone wants to, um, you know, the, um, look that. It's Google, Googleable. 
classic stage company on East 13th Street. Um, so I get I get stuff there um, or through my agency, which is the Gersh agency, which is also Googleable. Um, and as far as uh, getting tickets for uh, Man of No Importance, the the um, classic stage, I think it's classicstage.org. Org. Yeah, the, the tickets are available on the on the web on that site on the website. Yeah. Perfect. I think the box office number is also on there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Mary Beth, this has been just an honor. I'm still pinching myself that I've gotten to sit down with you for the last hour and talk and share and have tea. Yes, we had our <laughs> This is unbelievable. So thank you so much for making the time for me today. Great. Thanks. Thanks for the invite. I enjoyed it. Hope I didn't talk your ear off. <laughs> no, no, you are fantastic. I mean, I could talk to you for another hour. I've, I've got a million more questions. I want to hear more yeah. stories. <laughs> My guest today has been Mary Beth Peel, who plays Mrs. Margaret Grace in Classic Sage Company's production of A Man of No Importance, currently playing now through December 18th. You can get tickets and more information at classicstage.org. Do not miss this show. It's a New York Times critics pick. It is a huge pick of ours, so make sure to get your tickets now. So until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez reminding you to turn off your cell phones, unwrap your candies, and keep your masks on, and keep talking about the theater in a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at stagewhisperpod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Kelly Lattimore, Jazzar, and Billy Murray. You can also become a patron of our show by logging on to patreon.com slash stagewhisperpod. There you'll find all the information about our backstage pass. Thank you so much for your generosity. We could not do this show without you.